Welcome to Season 5 of the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In this season, we're exploring relational spirituality, which is rooted in immediate engagement with God. It is a relational mystical spirituality, encouraging people to enter deeply into living and loving in relation to their own self, others, the cosmos, and God. In seeking to establish a relational spirituality on the foundation of our value for intimacy with God, we're teasing out the difference between our relationship to the practice of the faith and to the pursuit of relationship with God. In last week's episode, we reflected on the Alpha course and the kinds of tensions and subcultures that can emerge between those running Alpha and the host church. This is a tension between the regular experience of church and the kinds of experience expected on the Alpha course. In this week's episode, I get to speak to Claudie and explore how they've evolved the Alpha course to avoid such subcultures and tensions. It's a clear example of how one can how one can solve this problem without sufficiently addressing the question of intimacy with God, yet it's also a window into how others are thinking about integrating the course in the broader tapestry of African spirituality and here also specifically in the South African context. Thank you so much for joining. Just for the sake of our listeners, do you want to just uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is, full name is Lecho Honolo, short name is Shoni Lebele. I'm in Johannesburg, currently uh, at a church, completing my stint at a church in Kayalami, closer to Four Ways, called Grace Point. I've been serving there as a youth and young adults pastor for the past five years, uh, been in youth ministry for the past nine years, um, and this is actually uh, my almost my last month as I'm serving in an official youth uh, pastor or youth uh, young adults capacity. Um, apart from that, um, involved in other stuff in our denomination, um, and I've also been involved with Alpha South Africa, um, which I suppose um, is what we're going to be talking about today. And just for the benefit of that conversation, I used to be um, the youth lead for Alpha so- uh, South Africa. Uh, I've got a son, I've got a beautiful wife. I've been married for five years. We just had our five years anniversary, um, and Langal Balele is four. Wow, that's amazing. Amazing. What a journey, huh? Thank you. Thanks, Tim. I'm quite a fan of asking people what the earliest experience of God was. And I figured I'd just start there with you. Um, so it was, yeah, so my earliest experience of God. Um, look, the, the idea, the um, belief that there is a God has always been there. You know, there's never, I'm raised in a, in a very traditional African family where everything almost ties in towards there being a maker. So the idea has always been that there's a God. There's never been any questions about that. Um, but it only became a personal conviction that consciously affects my every way of being around 20, 2007 um, at a school camp. Um, I always say if I was baptized Catholic, I would have probably picked on Don Bosco, St. Don Bosco as my patron. Um, and that's because of the encounter I had at, at a center that, that is named after him, but also how um, the Salesian order that is in the, within the Catholic Church also helped me in my own journey. Um, and so, yeah, that was my earliest experience, um, or rather the moment when I started being intentional um in my own journey um and then from then on it has been moment after moment of reaffirmation of the journey 
So, so you speak of intentionality, you speak of personal conviction. What was the encounter? What was the experience? Sure. Um, so it was, we were at a Love Matters camp, you know, so um, my second high school, you know, so um, my, I, I went to a boys' school, then from the boys' school, I went to a Catholic school. Um, so I was at the Catholic school. Um, yeah, man, life was not the greatest at, at that time. Um, I don't think there's ever a time when life is perfect, but um, the imperfections of life are often illuminated by us not having any holding hand to help us through those moments. Um, and so at that high school, when we went on to a Love Matters camp, leading up to that moment, because it was a small Catholic school, I just knew it was like, you know, even though I'd grown up going to church, but my family was not like devout, devout Christians. There was just something different about everyone else's life, you know, in as much as anyone can tell you, you know, you, whether you're in a Catholic or circular school, teenagers are teenagers experimenting with different things. And the school was not any different, but there was just something that their families were grounded on um, that I was really attracted to. I could not put it into words at the time. I remember the girl I was dating at the time, her father was a pastor, you know, and there was just this thing that they relied on beyond um, everything else that you could see around them. So anyways, long and short of it is that we go to this camp and it then just hits me, you know, at that moment, it really, really just hit me, you know, that the thing that they relied on is what I got a glimpse of at that particular camp, which I suppose had always been around me, but that isolated time away from everything gave me an opportunity to rationalize and make sense and become more vulnerable and become more open to that which has had been long knocking on my door. And when you speak about that glimpse, what was that glimpse? It was not a particular moment. Um, I think it is moments that have always been around me, but I have not been listening intently as I did during that time because of the space that was created to enable that. Um, and so it was, it was, so, so, so it was exactly that, you know, so it was literally, and, and, and I suppose what happened at the time is like everything that had been happening. And I draw it from as far back as primary school hymns sitting on that floor, um, with Miss Barnett playing, um, the piano, um, those lyrics that had always made sense and have always had an invitational message at that time and moment began to make sense more than they ever had. And that's because it was the first time in my own journey of having become biologically an adult and trying to establish myself socially as an adult where I had intentionally taken a moment or been invited and brought into a moment where I could make sense of it. So it was not a particular moment at the camp, but it was a moment of that just hit me and I realized something shifted and I'm, I, I would, I would, I don't even recall crying or anything like that at the camp, but something had shifted. I knew it, and it was evident in my life going forward. And your um, your journey into ministry, your calling to ministry. How did you arrive at a calling Ooh. to ministry? Sure. Um, so journey into ministry. Um, so going from the camp, you know, I just knew that I wanted to speak. At the moment, I knew. Um, I remember. Um, what um so what happens is 
as I um, coming from the camp, I started going to a Catholic church down the road. Um, at some point, I went back to the church I grew up at. You know, I wanted to go see my mates um, that I grew up with in children's church and teen church. You know, I, I was still a teenager, though. So I, I see these guys and I stayed. I stayed. I just wanted to see them for the day. End up staying while I was staying there. Um, funny enough, I was looking at his picture today. Um, the late... Um, 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 Noto, um, an old man within our congregation, um, says to me, man, I want to know, you've got a beautiful voice, you know, what do you intend on doing with it? And I just said to him, only thing I could make sense of is that I wanted to be a motivational speaker, you know, so I'm still new in the church. I'm not thinking preacher. I'm not thinking anything. It's like, no, nah, I just want to speak one day. I knew I wanted to speak. Um, fast forward, um, I got involved in student politics, um, and, I grew a passion for leading, particularly, you know, um, there were opportunities to lead young people who needed bursaries and stuff like that. You know, there was just a sense of joy that came from that. Um, I remember then listening to a, at the time I began um, play, you know, getting involved in our church's youth leadership stuff and all of that. Um, and there was a day I was listening to a radio station and they spoke about someone who had been invited to be a governor, but at the same time, he was a priest. And when he rejected the invitation, they, it just did not make sense. You know, who wouldn't want to become a governor? You know, and so this was of interest to me because now I was I was in this world where I was in student politics, I was in youth leadership, and both were promising. And I was not sure where I would be going. You know, student leadership, I mean, provincial leadership, youth leadership, I'm involved in some amazing stuff that's just um, really affirming. Long and short of it is his response resonated with me. And he said, as a church leader, I get to touch the lives of people who one day be in governance. And it was that moment that hit me that even as a as someone who's involved in ministry to young people, even though at the time it was on a voluntary basis, I get to touch and speak into the lives of people who will lead in various spaces in society. And so as opposed to me just being in one space, I can honestly contribute to the formation, to the vocational discernment and faith formation of people who be involved in different spaces of life. Um, and so that was a journey into it. But as that grew stronger uh, and I and I, it just started, started not making sense, I felt like this was not enough, you know, in terms of being able to express that which I was feeling, spoke to our minister and he said, look, I didn't want to impose anything on you. I wanted you to come to me first. This is what I've been seeing in your life. Long and short of it is that on my, while I was busy with my second slash third year studies at varsity, I at the same time had applied to go into youth ministry training program. I spoke to my old man and he was like, not happening. You know, um, you need to make money for yourself. You know, I want to leave this world name that you financially secure made sense you know um but in the midst of all of that um on the weekend i was meant to go start my training um at this youth ministry training program i felt ill um and was diagnosed which later we discovered was a misdiagnosis of tb was diagnosed with tb at the time um in the midst of all of that there was an experience of visions there was an experience of you know, people who spoke into my life said, look, this is what we're seeing about your life. You know, people would come to me um, and say, next week, your minister is going to ask you to do something. You'll be surprised by it. Um, but believe this, there's something that God is preparing you for. And as true as Bob, you know, that's what would happen. I mean, it'd be like, okay, before we light today's candle for a huge service in a traditional church, something that's not often done by a child, he would then call me and be like, 
surely you're going to be praying for this part of the service. You know, so moments like that. Um, but also with me having applied for the youth ministry training program, they came back to me and said, there's a church that wants to sponsor you. Um, and that was in 2013. And that's how my journey to ministry began with the church then asking me to serve. Um, and then the rest is history. And uh, and now you're transitioning to study. I'm yes, I'm transitioning to pursuing studies in the seminary. Um, so I'm from the Methodist tradition, and we have a seminary in Peter Maritzburg. Um, and as part of one's formation journey towards ordination, you would have to do a three-year stand for formation academics, but also uh, vocational formation. It's quite a journey to get uh, into that kind of academic environment. It's quite a change to to where you've been. And uh, yeah, that's going to be a whole new set of challenges. So, But I think it's going to be good for you. We pray. We really do pray. <laughs> and from there, do you want to go on and continue working with youth? Do you want to follow the path into being a minister of a church? What do you, what do you foresee for the future? Oh. So part of the reason... Um, you know, that, 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 that I ended up. So what, so while I was serving as a youth pastor, you know, I had an opportunity to serve with Alpha. Great opportunity. I loved it to bits, you know, um, and there were many potential, um, there were many opportunities for growth, even in that area. You know, there was an invitation to come into a global training program and stuff like that. But the reason I could not was that it would, it came with the, um, I was then meant to be full-time with Alpha. So I was part-time with Alpha, part-time with the church. So I was in a co-vocational kind of setup. Um, and the requirement was that I would be full-time with the church. I mean, with Alpha or with the church. And so um, even though at the time, it honestly, financially, it did not make sense at all. But my part of my, part of what I, the call, how my call has, what my, I don't want to say grown as though you outgrow youth ministry, um, but how my call is beginning to express itself or the space that I'm beginning to search for to better express what my call has evolved into is um, a space where I can journey with the slowest and fastest person, the most traditional person and the most innovative person, the most traditional church and the most innovative church. Um, and so unfortunately, because of how youth ministry has been set up, it does not allow for that. But also um, bearing in mind that I'm in a space where I want to travel with Gen Zs, but also want to travel with boomers, with people in their third age, while I travel with the most conservative church, at the same time, being able to hold the space for that conservative church to be in the same space as the most innovative church. And so that's where I am at the moment. So would be journeying more towards um, an, a presbyter. Um, that's what we call it. So we are a two-order church. You know, we've got presbyters and word and service. Um, and so that's what I would be journeying um, more towards. Did you did you listen to the episode on Alpha that we did last week? Did you? I did. I did. I did. So so it's it's very rare that we get the opportunity to to have a conversation like that between uh, between the two of us, Stephen, Stephen, myself, and then the opportunity to follow up with someone who uh, whose thinking is 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 similar in many ways to ours but also different it's nice to be able to get to chat to someone live whose ideas and experiences differ to my own 
and and yet you've got experience in this area as well and you've got things that you're thinking into i think one of the big challenges with any with any ministry uh, venture these days is recognizing the degree to which the world is the world around has changed and the way in which the institutions are staying the same and and yet there's the need for the institutions to to evolve or adapt in one way or another and that's often in conflict with the with the core understanding that no 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 we've got this universal truth that is set in stone going back to the foundations of the earth <laughs> and uh, we're going to hold on to that so we don't need to change and there's a bit of a discrepancy between the two and you know understandably like we we're not playing in that arena so we're not we're not looking to um I guess defend things like that as much as as we see um, ministry as a very malleable venture, something that can change, can adapt, that can grow, that can l change, its, shift its form, and adapt according to the needs of the people and serve the purposes that, of what we're trying to achieve. And I, I realized that one of the big issues that I've seen with Alpha is that the tool or the course was designed in a particular way for a particular purpose and people try to get something out of it and so there's often a discrepancy between people that are trying to run alpha and what people want to achieve by doing alpha and there's often a mismatch between that and the culture or the context that it's put in and so you've almost got you've got things going off in different directions i i just thought i'd start by throwing that out and just to ask for any any thoughts that would spark off from that for you oh, sure <clears throat> Um, yeah, um, so I think some of the first thing for me is, you know, um, I'll start with the context. I think the context one is a huge thing. It's, it's really a huge thing, you know. Um, so I, I, I come from a church that no one would be shocked by, um, I, said, I think you guys have referred to him as Uncle Nicky, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, no one would be, no one would be shocked by Nicky Gumbel's voice um, and his accent and his British jokes. Um, you know, even though, for instance, I remember the previous one, um, just recently we came right back from a Holy Spirit weekend two weeks ago, and everyone's like asking, you know, in reference to some of the videos, um, like, um, guys, does anyone know what a porridge party is? You know, Nikki referred to the porridge party, and none of us know what a porridge party is, you know, so there are those little things, but our congregation would be very comfortable, very comfortable with, with Alpha. At the same time, um, I remember sitting in a meeting with the mission director um, of the Methodist Church um, and my colleagues at the time from Alpha. And the mission director, his thing was, look, I've been exposed to Alpha. Um, we did Alpha and I've been to HTB, Holy Trinity Brampton. Um, and when I came back understanding what Alpha uh, how Alpha, the, how the Alpha course is designed. You know, the first thing I did, I discontinued it in our church because I was in a church in Soweto. And so you guys need to understand that as you sit with me here today, you are sitting with someone who's a custodian of mission in this denomination over six countries, South Africa, Lesotho, Botswana, Swaziland, Namibia, um, and Mozambique. And in those countries, there are very rural spaces. And so if I'm ever going to endorse this as a tool, as one of the tools for mission in our denomination, it would have to speak into all those contexts. And so th those are some of the challenges when it comes to alpha and context, because the truth is it could, uh, in its current form, the idea, you know, can speak into, into any context, but how it's been expressed 
cannot speak into any context, which is very important, you know, for this conversation. Very much so. I think my my experience of it was that uh, we considered the idea of using canned talks as, as, as being not the way to go. And we went with live speakers who kept the core and you adapted it to your, to your own context. And, and I, I, I've been very surprised to discover over the years that there's a big emphasis on using a, a DVD speaker from, from, from a different environment. And, and if there's anything that I thought that would be necessary would be to change would be that one simple thing like we did, you know, it's just not appropriate to use a speaker from a different country with culturally inappropriate um, uh, examples and uh, ways and means of communicating, you use a local speaker and they can just read through the material and follow something similar. So yeah, admittedly back in those days, it was, uh, um, you know, there was no Alpha South Africa at that level. Sure, sure. We were a local congregation that adopted Alpha as a, as, as a tool and started running it in our own context. And we and we just we, we just did it and so 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 off the top of my head if there's anything to change why didn't you change that and just use a live speaker yeah so um for us so so so, so there's, there's there's two reasons for that you know um the first for me is understanding how the alpha series has been put together so i look at alpha in two ways it's global and regional, you know, so the latest product from Alpha. And I suppose I was privy to some information because I was, um, you know, working for Alpha. The latest um, um, Alpha, which is out at the moment, is has different inter intervals with, to with, with the two presenters and Nikki. But you find that the questions, which were usually only done in the UK, are regionalized. So the resource remains global, but the interviews where you ask the street interviews, that's what I'm looking for, are regionalized. So I was done in Cape Town, um, but in Cape Town, we were very intentional in making sure that we all, well, they were very intentional in making sure that they find people from Kenya, uh, people from South Africa, um, different races and so forth. And you literally can see the difference. Because you find that the question part of it is, is, is where people look for something to strongly relate to. Because, oh, here's someone who's confused about this Jesus idea as much as I am, you know, but you don't want it to be someone from another country that might be in a different context. Then when it comes to the speakers, the talks, what became important for us, one, is that Alpha frees us up. And this might sound like a cop-out. You know, Alpha frees us up to focus on creating a seeker-sensitive culture. And so there was no need to focus on perfecting the talks, bearing in mind how the talks have been put together, that almost in from one talk to the other, almost like a puzzle that builds up. There's like very small ideas that you would not pick up when just watching it, but like there's very small ideas that are knitted into how the talks are constructed that would build up towards the next episode and so forth and so forth. However, having said that, in a context where, so we've, we've got a very well-traveled congregation. We've got a, you know, so we're a church that when COVID hit, we were very much affected because um, we were, we, we felt the global impact before it hit, before the local impact from a, 
um, from, from, from a tithing perspective because a lot of our people have investments in different spaces in the world. Um, and so our congregation is completely different. But having said that, I would strongly find it, personally, I would find it inappropriate to use Alpha in the previous church I was at, for instance, you know, um, Brackenhurst, um, where it's in as much as it's a predominantly white church, but because it's a seeker tool, you're trying to make sure that it reaches everyone in that community and the demographics of Brackenhurst are more divided between black and white. And so I would find it very inappropriate. Same thing would apply also with other spaces. So for us, it, it, it honestly speaking, the first thing was that the talks are quality and you do, you're not always guaranteed quality if you get speakers. I've seen it look, I've seen it work well. I've seen it go south. Um, but then number two, um, it was that it freed us up as a team to focus on the different elements that we can even pick up to um, to absorb into our own church culture. Yeah, I mean, there's good 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 logical reasons, but I I, I would um, I, I turn the CD into a frisbee over actually using yeah. it myself in any in any circumstance. <laughs> I, I think I think that what you gain by developing a speaker far outweighs what you gain by using a, a can dvd that's just that's just my thing the the opportunity to 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 have a set structured framework that works like that and 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 to to raise a local leader to enable someone to grow into being a speaker to enable people to grow into ministry because the next thing that i mean the, the question that follows on for me then is is when it comes to, to the holy spirit weekend away and doing ministry what do you do do you invite an outsider in like how do how do how do you make that work? How, how how do you make that session work, and how does that session differ to to the others? Do you still use the DVD, and how does that follow on into into ministry time? Absolutely. So one thing we're very strict on on our Alpha is that people that have been involved in the Alpha. So the first thing for me when it comes to Alpha, perhaps let me start. Yeah, the first thing that's very important for us is to assign people based on their gifts, based on the areas of gifting. So if Shawnee is the grumpiest person on the team. There's no way you're going to have me at the door. The guy who's welcoming people is someone who really knows how to hold that space. You know, um, but same as the group time. We want, we, 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 we go for listeners in the group times. We make it very clear to our hosts and helpers that it's not a moment to teach. We've had to have very difficult conversations with people who wanted to teach in those spaces that this is actually not a time to teach. It's a time to prompt conversation. That's the whole purpose. Our alpha is designed is, in my understanding, it's meant to create a space where people can be um, can 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 ask questions, can discuss, can share, without necessarily getting it right all the time. And I, I've always been an advocate of this being used as a way of guiding people towards becoming of inviting people to to becoming vulnerable. So if I'm allowed to ask questions in a Christian space, it makes me comfortable because suddenly there's nothing wrong with my questions. When that happens, my guards go down. And when my guards go down, it enables me to encounter. The opportunity to encounter God is always looming in every alpha session. And so by the time you get to Holy Spirit weekend, you are basically creating the space for them to take advantage of this or rather to access this thing that's always been there that's not activated on Holy Spirit Weekend. Now, 
to your question, when it gets to Holy, when we get to Holy Spirit Weekend, we've had our host and helpers. They understand that their job is not to um, teach, to speak in those groups, but rather to enable conversation, to have people share as much as they do. The DVD does the teaching. Theirs is to create a space of vulnerability. And same applies then when we transfer to the prayer moment. Everyone prays for their group. But we also then would go on to pray for people separately as leaders, people who would love to be prayed for. There are two ways of doing the Holy Spirit weekend. One, you can have people praying for each other. The other, you can have group leaders, host and helpers praying for their groups. And the other, you can have people really just in a time of worship and those who would love to be prayed for saying that I would like to be prayed for. So, so you've, 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 you've predominantly taken a... If I if I distinguish between ministry time and prayer time, you've predominantly taken a, a prayer time approach to 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 that as a session. Or, or how do you, you could how say, but remember, so some of the different elements. Maybe what's also worth mentioning is that every alpha. So what we try to do is that some of the elements that people would some churches would only introduce at the Holy Spirit weekend, we already have from the beginning. So we already have worship. So for instance. We've got worship from our first session of Alpha. It's a critical part of our Alpha experience. Um, by the time we get to the Holy Spirit weekend, it just means we've got longer worship to create that ministry time. By the time we get to the Holy Spirit weekend, there's also elements um, that we've taken from other movements, um, like the Emmaus movement, that we bring into our Holy Spirit weekend experience just to emphasize this invitation of love. When I speak about, you know, so, yeah. So when, when, when you speak about the 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 MS there, I mean, there's that, that's quite a um, that's quite a shotgun statement. So when you say you've you've drawn something in from there, can you just can you just um, elaborate on that quickly? Absolutely. So you know, um, so people are familiar with the Emmaus walk. You know, it's a weekend where you get to experience God's love, and we pick up on various things just to really communicate that which we are trying to invite you to ex towards experiencing you know so this would be stuff like what they call agape gifts you know um you come in it's an alpha weekend you arrive on the friday there's a note for you with a chocolate you think oh great man someone loves me around here you know these people were really ready to host me um we go to meal time you come back you know would for instance at our alpha would play like a game and part of that game is leaders just to kind of establish what you like. You know, do you like coffee? Do you like three sugars, one sugar, Milo? And then in the morning, you know, everyone gets a delivery from their leader, um, you know, a coffee and a muffin. You know, and for people it's like, whoa, you know, the last time I got breakfast in bed was on my first night of honeymoon, you know. Um, so it's like another experience, you know. And then there's other experiences also. So for instance, what we also do, which is not from the Emmaus Walk, we also have stuff like, a question box, you know, so we've got these links all over our building for our alpha participants. You've got any question, send it to that link. And it allows our ministers to start thinking deeply about it. We want to create, so we try by all means to create a space where people feel like I can ask anything, even anonymously. Any question is welcome, you know, and then we've got these elements like even like letters from your family members, you know, um, who would write just to affirm your journey or even if it's a best friend i'm like we had you know we had um one guy on the one alpha um who's uh from a hindu background 
and he had someone write a letter you know when you're from a background where people might still be hostile to the idea that you are now a christian it might not be received well getting a letter from someone who's close to you that affirms your journey means a lot you know um so we've got all those little elements you know and even for, for some for some kid from like even like with young adults whose parents who might not have the greatest relationship with their parents we've got those letters so all in all what then this does is that we just try to create a space where that enables vulnerability so there's no ministry from the minute we go into holy spirit weekend that's what we're trying to do yeah yeah i mean hospitality is is phenomenal at that level but um, i guess i'm I, i'm looking to to tease out the differences between a hospitable environment where people feel safe, they feel welcome, and at a community level that works. So we could take Jesus out, swap him with Buddha, Father Christmas, a guru. You can put this into a Scientology environment. You could put it into a New Age environment, like any, any number of other environments. Wouldn't you get the same outcomes? That's a very interesting question. Um, would you get the same outcome? Hmm, I've never thought about it. But just from the top of my head, is what I can, what, what I would, how I would respond to that is that we are emphasize, our, our emphasis obviously is one of grace. One of, we don't care where you've been last night, but the minute you walk. But, but how does that differ? It's, and if it doesn't differ, it's also okay. You know, I don't think we in pursuit to distinguish ourselves from any religion. The experience will be the distinguishing factor. You know, so even like, I'll give you an example. What is the distinguishing experience then, really? The distinguishing experience of Christ. I think the distinguishing experience is, is, is really Christ. Christ means different things for different traditions. Christ is interpreted differently in different contexts. But within the gospel, we are not double-minded that Christ is God. I, I, that doesn't sell it to me, but that's great. Yeah, <laughs> that is okay. That's also okay. Uh, and I suppose it's also, so, so you also, you, you, you know, so for instance, you know, a topic for another day, you know, I'm an Africanist to the core, you know, um, I am a black Christian. Um, I, I am not double-minded that my ancestors are not offended by God. And so that's why I'm not stuck on this. Like I, I reimagine what Christ would have looked like in Africa. You know, Christ was a Jewish young man. The gospel transforms people's lives in Africa. But it is not always, with exception to some practices, offended by how Africans carry out their lives. So that's where I move from. You know, um, I am not I'm not one who's always like, you know, what's the distinguishing facts? I'll give you an example. I've got a friend who's 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 a Hindu. And no, I, he... I think I think I think by distinguishing factor, let me let me let me clarify, because I don't think it's 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 trying to distinguish one one people from another. I think for me that the, the difference the difference is is any any kind of conditional environment where you're creating acceptance, you're creating welcome, loving, nurturing, on the basis of buying into A, you're assumed to buy into B. So so you have a great experience of a community. The faith they have actually doesn't matter because what you're signing up for, what you're being led into, is a relational connection with people, right? Absolutely. So, so in, in that sense, it's it's immaterial because because the who or the what you encounter is collapsed into the experience of the community. I differ. Please do. I must be honest. I differ because let's take charity for instance. Track back a couple of years back, people weren't so big on charity. 
you know, churches were being on charity. And we could even go as far as saying, ever since the idea of charity has been very circular, it has lost its meaning. But we cannot, for some people, yeah, so there was an argument that it has lost its meaning. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand how charity can lose its meaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there was an argument that it's, it's, it's more about, it's not only about the stuff we give, it's also about God's love. You know, and for me, I'm not, it's, 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 it's my thing is, we cannot deny the fact that the Christian faith has had an impact on the world in stuff that the world has learned from the Christian faith and appropriated, some might say, and it's become CSR and many other things. But we cannot have an impact. We cannot, we cannot deny that that has had an impact and it continues to have an impact on people's lives. And so for me, the same counts with hospitality. Hospitality is from the Spirit of God, wherever you see it. In as much as it may be appropriated and it may be wrongly used, but even when a young person goes to a party space and someone says, hey, come sit here, the night might end badly, but we cannot deny the fact that that invitation to come sit here spoke into a deep need that can only be met by God. And unfortunately, how the end, how the night ends exposes that that invitation is has appropriated something that is of God and yet it is not of God. But hospitality in its very essence. So so there's an interplay there between I think the universal and the particular. And 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 I think I think hospitality is a, a, a universal. And I don't see it as a as a you know even charity is more of a universal as well. I don't see it as a as a Christ distinctive in in a way in that sense and I, I know it is often linked in that way but i know far too many people for whom it is the opposite where christianity and christ does not portray those things to people and and that goes off in a different direction but i think i think that takes us slightly slightly off track with the with the holy spirit weekend so the one thing that i was really drawn by in terms of in terms of your thinking was was that um that you sought to eliminate any immediate encounter of God on the Holy Spirit weekend? Not necessarily. And I, I'm going to qualify that and I'm going to let you let you respond to that because the, the idea was to shift away from a encounter-based event, or at least the Holy Spirit weekend being a particular kind of encounter with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm very critical of churches and people doing that. <laughs> you might have picked it up from the last podcast episode. But I, I, I'm really keen to to hear and understand why why in this particular running you, you lent that way and what the thinking is behind that. So I think the first thing is to say we do not remove moments of encounter. Um, instead, we seek to create constant moments of encounters without any particular high. There is a one of the shared misconceptions. Um, around youth ministry is um, that of it being a series of spiritual highs. That of youth ministry being this thing that you go on a camp, you are on a high and you come back, life is normal. You wait for the next camp, you're on a spiritual high and you come back, life is normal. At a very social level, how that often plays out is you are an abused woman, your life is terrible on a Saturday morning, because you you know that your husband's going to come back drunk, either came back drunk last night or was going to come back drunk um, tonight, beat you up, 
you and your family are going to run for help. Tomorrow, you're going to go to church. You're going to be reaffirmed that everything's going to be okay. You're going to be in a spiritual high. It's going to carry you through to Wednesday. Thursday, finances are still a reality. You realize that life is still not great. And maybe if you are fortunate, you find a cell group. It restores that spiritual high. On a Saturday morning, back to the same cycle. And sometimes we try to create that out of church and out of moments such as the Holy Spirit weekend. And we were very intentional. So there's something in Alpha called the seven best practices. Best practices are practices from um, around the world where you basically say, these are the shared things by churches that have really led Alpha well. So we took these seven best practices and we said, how can we be intentional within our context? What we're looking for from this Alpha experience is an experience that will change people's lives, but also change the church's culture so that when someone has gone through Alpha, that how they've experienced Alpha, they can find glimpses of that even within the church community because we don't want to only be inviting people into the church through Alpha. We are hoping that every Sunday morning at Grace Point will be an invitational morning to new believers, to people who are searching, to people who are asking questions. Alpha is one of the tools, but evangelism and church growth is one of our mission pillars. Great. So now we took the seven best practices and said, hence we've got worship. We don't wait for the Holy Spirit weekend for worship. Hence we pray for our alphas every Sunday and encourage our leaders to pray for them during name. Hence we connect with our people during the course of the week. If someone doesn't come in alpha, we give them a call. Dude, are you okay? And this is not even like a client service call. Are you okay? Is everything okay? Hence we try to make sure that everything is executed meticulously to free up leaders to focus on people. Now to the Holy Spirit weekend. When you get to the Holy Spirit weekend, if we're introducing um, worship for the first time, it'll create a completely different environment. And what we're saying is we want to do our alphas so well from the first alpha that the only difference when you get to Holy Spirit weekend is that you've set aside time to engage this, which has been offered to you fully from day one. And now you're setting aside time to engage it fully. My biggest emphasis has been on vulnerability. Holy Spirit Weekend, creating vulnerability. And the reason we're doing that is because we want to make sure, we want to invite you into a space that by the Saturday evening when we get to ministry time, you are completely comfortable with saying, come Holy Spirit. So we do not remove moments, but we try to make sure that it is, we do Alpha so well that by the time we get to the Holy Spirit Weekend, there's little to add. So the little to add there is is more deliberate opportunity for introspection yes that's one of it you know but inviting but also the elements of vulnerability that make people feel vulnerable feel safe to pluck out of the world feel safe to really just be with the people that they're with and be vulnerable in their presence if they're going to cry to feel as though they can cry in the space i think introspection is, 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 is from our side it's not just introspection but vulnerable introspection is just something I do it's not just introspection but even having my guards down to encountering this mystery that I may not be able to understand or put into words at that moment in time mm -hmm. yeah I, yeah I think I think the linking of introspection and vulnerability is is key there I'm just trying to think back to to the ways that that's that that I did it back in the day or at least we, we did it as part of a team that did it well part of several teams that did it in different environments and and we likewise introduced prayer um, worship all the way through use the live speaker 
had uh, fought similar battles with the with with people around meal tables who wanted to teach try to get them to facilitate and create an environment open questions you know etc etc so we did we had we, we had all of that as well and and likewise focused on the hospitality elements as best as as, as we were able i think there's a difference between like I've always felt that there's a difference between the ministry time approach as opposed to just the prayer time approach. Is that is that a distinction that you that you would be familiar with, and and how would you how would you understand those? And I hear what you mean by that. Maybe maybe let me understand what you mean by that. You know, um, and I'll I'll give you the background, and perhaps my background speaks a lot into my interpretation of it. So so I think of of prayer type environments as being when I model the relational transactions amongst participants, it's very much the context where someone is in a state of wanting to receive prayer or someone's in a state of wanting to give prayer. And and they pray together. But there's very little by way of, of immediate return, immediate sense that there's going to be a, a tangible presence that is going to draw near and speak and act there and then in in a way that is that, that is undeniable well or can be not deniable can be debatable but but in most contexts it's it's a clear engagement with an other who draws near in person to speak and act and prayer differs because prayer is directed towards god but without the sense of immediacy without the sense of immediate feedback you know someone might be inspired to quote a, a, a scripture or you know, say something or feel something out of their own, but that's not that's not the same thing as 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 a third party, a divine presence drawing down. So, would you say? Because in my view, so um, so a bit of background, you know. So, I've had the privilege of being in different contexts. I grew up in a more traditional black context, and I come into a white, um, at times traditional, at times innovative context, whatever. And one of the things I started learning from a very early age is that within predominantly white churches, the way of doing church tends to be very cognitively oriented. Yes, in many, in many, in many of it is, yeah. It's calculated right now. We are going to pray. So that distinguishment is not there in my life. We may go into prayer right now. And the time of prayer, when we are vulnerable and we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, may result in what you would call ministry time. I don't think so. It is, it is, it is absolutely, well, that's how we, some of us ended up growing up in services that are meant to be one hour services, but end up in two hour long services. Because there's no telling what a Sunday service would look like. When we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we might end up going much longer than expected. That's how some of us end up, instead of being at a youth camp during my teen years, I was at night, all night revivals, where it's a constant space of ministry time. And so that dichotomy does not exist in my language. But when we allow ourselves to be invited, we discover that what we call prayer time can always lead to ministry time. Yeah, I would agree in terms of the can lead but I think that introspection, add vulnerability to it, add prayer to it, you still don't necessarily have the presence of the other drawing there. And that was one of the distinctives that we that that I felt that we we had back in the. What would you think stops the presence of the other, where people are being vulnerable? And you know, do you think God waits for an invitation? What would you say is it? 
I don't think of it in the language as what stops the presence of the other. I think that there is a difference between whether God does or doesn't draw near, because invites God may not, don't invite God may. I do think that there's a difference between the way we go about offering our religious goods and services, where where there isn't, where by and large there isn't there isn't space and opportunity, and so and so it, it, in in many situations it's like going for coffee with 10 people and you're expecting someone to be there, that person doesn't arrive, but you talk about them. And so, yeah, we had a great meeting about them, we remembered them. And I think in a similar sense, God, Christ is remembered, honored in the context of church and religion, but God is not necessarily present. Sure. And and even if God is, God is potentially present as the bystander and the outsider, not the active participant. And so in many situations, what we put on the stage is these religious goods and activities, but where's where's the room for god to take that stage and 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 to be the one who speaks facts you know so 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 that's that's really the subtle distinction that i'm that 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 i'm looking for so 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 it's more of a both and rather than an either or sure sure but i mean i mean i'm in a complete agreement with you there you know but i think we offer another problem you know there's nothing to change about god for god to be present at all times i would disagree though because oh, do you think there's something about God? I think we were the problem. No, I don't. I don't think there's a problem there. So, so, so I, I think, I think right at the start, we've got God draws near and God withdraws right there in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Right? Where's the problem there? You think draws near and does not to to spend time with them and then withdraws to not spend time with them. Oh, you see, but now then we're going to come into a big thing there because I think maybe you and I interpret Genesis very differently. There might be that, you know, so there might be themes that we interpret differently. So so how would you interpret that as a, a God drew near, walked with them in the garden, then God left and they spent time on their own with each other? But for me, it helps us discover it. I don't, I don't think it means like God was this, you know, was, 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 was like this figure that was there at the time with them. And then God withdrew, you know, um, it's, it's a, for a, me, it's a, it's it's a repeated it's a repeated cycle throughout the book of Genesis. So so so, in terms of the hermeneutics of it, I'd be interested to to know then how what what do you make of the silent periods leading up to Jesus? Let's make that a conversation for another day because I think for me it's a it's a very beautiful legend, um, and there's a lot of themes I draw out for my life. I agree, which is why it's a story that I take seriously, but I don't take it literally. Absolutely, Absolutely. you know. Um, but I think we more we more the problem, you know, when it comes to experiencing God very often. But you return to the language of problem. Why? Well, well, maybe problem, not not problem in a like seriously problematic way. No, I would. Um, maybe it's just the use of language there, you know. Maybe it's just playing around different word, you know. But I think often when God wants to speak into our lives, when God wants to make something shift, when God wants to make things happen in our lives. And where we do not realize those moments, I don't think there's anything to fix about God. But I think we've just not capitalized on those moments. It is us who have not taken advantage, if that's the right term. It is us who have not been on the receiving end. Um, so I, that's what I would say. You know, I would say, for example, I've been asking my dad for something. You know, I've been asking him to give me clarity on an issue in the family. Um and obviously God is never too busy for us, but my dad has just had other stuff, you know, that he's had to sort out. 7 p.m. he sets an appointment. Surely let's meet Friday, 7 p.m. after dinner, you and I are going to talk. And we, I'm going to give you clarity on this. 
if I don't show up, my dad is there. He was there to give clarity. I didn't show up. As an as an example, yes. Now, assuming those things are, are in play, firstly, people seldom have got to make an appointment with them. Absolutely. And in fact, I'd I'd pull ten people out and ask them when was the last time they experienced that. I could I could go to ten people, and I could guarantee that probably all ten of those people have never had this. <laughs> so so I think I think I think an analogy like that, yes. If 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 those factors stay the same, if God does arrive to speak or God wants to speak, and 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 we're not listening, that's a very different scenario. But the in, but the inverse is also true. To go and sit at the table and expect God to arrive and God doesn't, and then say that God is there, that's a problem. Now, now, having said that, there are moments when I will drive with my dad and he will give me answers to questions I've always had. In that moment, I will not realize that my questions are being answered. I will get home, sit back, and drink a cup of coffee, start connecting the dots, and I'll realize that he actually gave me clarity that shifted something within me. I'll give you an example. I had, um, um, I, 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 I personally um, had a, t- a time when I was going through a very difficult um, era with my own dad. Great. Um, well, that's not great. Um, going through a difficult era with my dad. And while that is happening, it so happens that I had a mental breakdown, uh, um, mental breakdown. Um, it's like 10 years ago, I think mental breakdown um and when that happened yeah no it was really tragic um you know um but when that happens there are moments fortunately someone I've always had someone who I journeyed with who really knew my story well um in that happening what also happens is that as him and I speak about it we are able to trace some of the causes of this mental breakdown and the biggest with my relationship with my old man I cannot tell you that there was a particular moment of healing that shifted things. But I can assure you that there were moments that even when I look back now, simple moments like my dad and I doing something together that facilitated the process of healing. There are moments when Alpha Holy Spirit weekend is like a road to Emmaus. You're on the road with Jesus. Your heart is warming up. At that point in time, you're not aware. But it does not mean that something is not shifting. You might leave that camp thinking to yourself, yeah? So I would, I would, I would agree with you there, totally. But I, but I feel that on the continuum, I, I think that it's like, I feel like there's something missing with that though. Because on, on one hand, there's the interplay between the universality of God and the the relational presence of God. The relational presence differs because you can be in someone's company while they're going about doing something else. That doesn't mean that they're spending that quality time with you. And I think most most spirituality fits in. Does that mean that your presence is not shifting anything in their lives also? Well, it doesn't mean that it has to, it needs to. That's not the objective. 
Yes, but I'm just saying, just for the sake of that example, so we understand that even when Jesus is present, and at times we are not aware of it, it does not mean, or we are not aware of the presence, it does not mean that something is sh- some uh, things are not shifting in our lives. Yeah, but it also means that I can think that he's present when he's not. Well, that's the thing. I differ with that. I don't. I don't subscribe. I'm going to be very honest. I, I don't subscribe to this kind of thinking. What? Why not? I think God is always present. I think things are always shifting around us. There's always an opportunity for shift. There are primary school moments when I had him practice, as I told you, that shifted stuff in my life that only made sense at a much later stage. Yeah, I think I think that's the case throughout people's lives. God is not an essential for that. Christ is not an essential for that. Believing in Jesus is not an essential for that. Absolutely. And I'm more concerned about, or rather I'm more interested in discovering a God who's always been at work discovering a God who is shared by everyone, discovering a Jesus who's always been at work in our lives, who has a gospel message to offer to different cultures, to different people. But as I told you, you I'm not very obsessed, or rather, I'm not very sold with the idea of constantly trying to say, this is how God shifts. If God does not shift like this, then God is not shifting. This is how Jesus brings in the gospel. If the gospel does not play out like this, I strongly believe the gospel message and then it shifts in different ways in different people's lives. It's it's interesting that you that you say that and put that down there because because I don't feel that I've put that on the table. I mean, I don't I don't use the language of of, of barriers or the need to shift or, or anything like that. What I do put on the table, what I do look for, is a distinctive. Because in many ways, if I asked you when you met your wife, you tell a very different story to the one where you told where you first met God. Okay. And you do speak of that as a shift. You you, you spoke. I, I asked you about your earliest experience of God. Yes. And if if my and I and I made it very clear that it was not, and ex- the only this main time when I experienced God, the first time when I experienced God, but it was the time when I unplugged in order to make sense of an experience that's been ongoing in my life. Absolutely, absolutely. And so so that that was language that you used, and that's language that you're carrying through you. Hundreds. I work with the sense of, of of not projecting my experience onto others, mm-hmm. at least trying 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 not to not trying to universalize my experience because it's a sample sample case of one, and so so in some ways yeah like as I'm listening to you I feel that there's an interplay between the universal and the particular, and and I'm feeling like there's a there's a there's there's an erosion of the particular to preserve the universal, and so so I've used the language in the past of of God relates in three ways three kinds of relationships as creator, as sustainer, and in person. And how we we often look to the universal and the general and we lose the particular, the intimate, the one-on-one. Because there's a degree to, to which you've met every woman that you've met in your life and they're all the same to you, including your wife. But there's a quality of intimacy and engagement that differs. Sure. Hundreds. So, so in the language of trying to preserve and capture that universality, I don't feel like there's any particular yeah. Like, mm. like I'm not getting a sense of particular. Like, like from 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 you and how you're talking, I don't see why Christ matters. I don't see what why why church matters. I don't see why Alpha matters because we don't need any of those for any of the rest when it comes to universality of God's presence, God's constant availability. There are tools to help us discover something that's there. There are tools to help us discover something that's there, not create something that's not there. Alpha is a tool to help us discover an invitation that's always been there. 
So just around the alpha thing, you know, there's a friend of mine who always say alpha's an idea. Um, if you get the idea, the day that in actual fact, so let me let me let me so parachurch organizations always exist to meet a need that is not met in the church. Where parachurch organizations have exhausted that need, when they've done the job well, they actually work themselves out of a job. We could draw back to the 1800s, um, Youth for Christ. Youth for Christ is still existing, but not as strong as it used to be when churches did not have their own youth ministry departments, if you want to call it that. Um, we'll look at Kairos. Kairos continues to exist because churches struggle to go into prisons and maintain strong presence. Alpha exists because a lot of churches, particularly within mainland churches, that's where it's been growing a lot because mainland churches have not been great at their invitational culture. That's what we'd understand of it. And then I would then go on to say, what would prove Alpha to be successful is the day when mainland churches or any church for that matter no longer needs Alpha in order to invite people to Christianity. And they've got it part of their DNA. It's part of their culture. I think specifically to get to get around to, to, to the immediacy in, in the in ways in which intimacy with your wife will differ to general relationship that you have with everyone else on the planet. There's distinctives there in terms of in terms of creating an environment for intimacy with God. What is what is that engagement with God look like? Mm -hmm. I'm, 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 can, can you clarify that question a bit? OK, um, so, so you're creating all these general opportunities. Your language was you don't want to do anything on Alpha that differs to church. You want there to be a seamless environment of creating these constant opportunities. That's very seeker sensitive. Seeker sensitive. And transitioning from that to, to 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 the expectation. What is the expectation that you have in terms of what does it look like for someone to experience God, and then to go beyond that towards intimate engagement. So in terms of practical, so for instance, I'll give you an example. I always say um, how we always invite people, particularly at the Holy Spirit weekend, you know, even our teenagers into moments um, such as the Holy Spirit weekend to discovering. I always, you know, we always say, for instance, you know, you're at a shopping center 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, Lord knows why, what you're doing at there at that time. <laughs> you could have just come back from a rave and a massive party and be high and looking for food. Perfect. You're at the ATM. <laughs> You know, <laughs> well, for this particular metaphor, it's important that you're not high. Um, you know, it's 4 a.m. and you are standing at the ATM. You're about to take out some money, successful transaction. You look back at someone who's growing impatient. Obviously, this is one of the one or two people in the center. And you wonder, who is this? You look back, you realize it's Cristiano Ronaldo. You're blown away. You try to find your phone, but your battery's low. And so you can't get any picture evidence to prove that you were with Cristiano Ronaldo. No selfie, nothing to prove the moment. You go to school in that morning. I say to my teenagers, you go to work in that morning if you're an adult. You tell people you were with Cristiano Ronaldo and you guys had conversation. No one's going to believe you. People are going to tell you that it was probably someone who looks like Cristiano. But no clever argument about Cristiano Ronaldo's whereabouts at that moment can take away that experience. So I was through the alpha moment, through the alpha experience from the first day leading to the last day is to invite people to personally experience Christ in a way that even if the smartest 
atheist argument was to come their way. They know that this is real and nothing can take it away from them in a way that even if they were to make a mistake tomorrow and they were to do something that they will regret for a very long time, they know that they've encountered Christ and everything that is said about Christ, redemption, restoration, as equally true and cannot be taken away from them. And so what we want to do ultimately is that by the time we've got our alpha dinner, our closing dinner, our hope and prayer, our efforts are all directed towards a hope or rather towards inviting people to a personal experience. But that doesn't that doesn't answer my question. I, I appreciate that in terms of framing and the intention, but my, my question very specifically is, what what does what does that engagement look like for people in terms of their life changing lifestyle changes different choices in terms of witnessing is that what you're talking about no 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 i'm asking you to answer the question <laughs> oh yeah no so i'm saying in terms of obviously you know so once you've once you've had a personal encounter you know it changes how you view life it changes okay, so, so give, give me five different examples of a personal encounter mm-hmm of someone encountering Christ, having encountered Christ, encountering five different five, five different examples, yeah, five different examples of, of of a personal encounter. For one person, they might honestly leave the Alpha course um, without that um, emotional feeling of having encountered Christ, but knowing that something has shifted in their lives with a different approach to life. For another person, it might be at that moment in the Holy Spirit weekend. Um, we've had those moments where people. Um, break down where people fall or where people speak in tongues. That's what it may be for another person. Yet for another person, it may be that moment when you suddenly are very receptive to the gospel and it's like, this thing just makes sense. You're not crying, you're not laughing about it, but for the first time, it's not even offending your way of being and it really makes sense. So it would look different. We don't have a, we don't, we don't have a, we don't have this one thing that we're like, okay, cool. After the Holy Spirit weekend, this is what someone is meant to have done in order to say they've successfully completed this course. So much so that we've actually moved away from the wording course or program. We actually call it an experience, literally. Tell me about intimacy with your wife. I mean, don't. Oh, but yes. I'm using it as an example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then tell me about generally meeting people and having coffee with them. There's a world of difference between the two. And where I get frustrated in Christian environments like this is that we put forward the notion that you have a relationship with a distinct personal divine person. Mm -hmm. Whose value is not created by being exclusive. I grew up in a community where in order for your t-shirt to be seen as the best t-shirt, you gotta be the only one that has it. Um, and for me, meeting Christ meant that exclusive does not determine the value. Um, and so the fact that I meet Christ in various parts of my life and the fact that I experience God in various ways does not necessarily mean that God becomes less valuable. Value is not created by exclusivity. That is a very, um, and I'm sorry, I'm going to go back into typical political rhetoric, but that is a very Western narrative. I've not used that as a narrative, but I do appreciate that you introduce it and that you that you want to unpack it. Yes, no, no, I'm saying yes. You know, part of part of Biko's biggest argument when he speaks to Father Stumps is that the African tradition speaks about experiencing God or Amata in all things. You are at a wedding, 
the minute you, and this is a topic for another day, the minute you invoke ancestors, there's a sense of godliness in that space. The understanding is that you are speaking to Tito Amata, ultimately. You are at a funeral. There's never a particular moment in African spirituality when you pause on a Sunday and you say, let us worship. You understand? So there's always an understanding and an appreciation of depending on what you want to use, being in all things and being everywhere. And so we interpret the gospel in light of that. And so, as I said, my first disclaimer was that... For, 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 those, for those Africans that, that, that actually imbibe that spirituality and live it, I, I know many that don't. Absolutely. And for me, it's like, bless them, you know, but I'm definitely not one of them that do not. I, I can appreciate that. And I can see that where, 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 where you're coming from and why you've looked to evolve Alpha in the direction that that you are in the context that you're in not the context i'm in the context we are in well i'm not in that context i'm program. yeah no but, it's a, no but i'm saying it's an alpha program that has been run in south africa and so in order for it to make meaning in south africa it is part of the things we'll need to consider well as someone who's run it in south africa and been in south africa i've done it differently absolutely and that's part of the work that we do with decoloniality yeah, and so those are the arguments we're having. That's some of the conversations we're having. That's some of the stuff we are wrestling with to say what does a um a South a church in South Africa look like? What does what does its voice sound like? What does it offer to the global conversation? Um, and that's definitely the direction I'm heading in. And that was part of my reason of saying I would rather find myself in a vocation that allows me to journey with the most conservative person in South Africa, while at the same time seeking to invite the most innovative person. Have you ever done like a 10 day silent Zen retreat? No, I haven't. I, I, I would, I haven't. It's worth, it's worth doing. It's worth doing. I highly recommend I'm actually it. Put it down. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the big challenges that we've got to, we've got to, we've got to work with that everyone's got to work with is, is the question of whether there's a distinctive distinctness whether and what intimacy looks like because 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 when we talk when we talk general and we talk universal we're talking public we're, we're not talking deep intimates we're not talking we're not talking about the 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 the, the juiciness of of the depth of a of a relationship along those lines and i i feel i feel that that there's many different valuable discussions that you that you're having that you're processing um but i think that this distinctiveness on the presence of god is is not one that i'm feeling satisfied and i'm not i'm not feeling that that it's actually being touched on yeah and so 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 what, what i was referring to in 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 last week's episode i i don't feel we've we've, we've actually touched on in this i want to understand something help me understand something what is this um why do we why do we have to maintain this strong dichotomy that you're either a public theologian or you're either someone that, for instance you know sometimes i struggle with why we want to maintain this dichotomy between this um, intimate experience and this public expression and encounter you know um i'm like uh, it's it's for me, it's... it's I, <laughs> Tell me about intimacy with wife again. <laughs> absolutely. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's for me, but it's, it's it's still exactly that, you know, that that vulnerability that I experience in that particular space in intimacy where my gods are completely down, 
my body pores are all open, my emotions are in the right space, my head is in the right space, this is good, I celebrate it, is the same kind of relationship that I ultimately want to achieve with all humanity, even though the expression might not be the same, huge emphasis on that. Um, but it's even, for instance, I'll, I'll give you an example, you know, it's like, I had a, a very, and I, and, I, and I hope this is not an offensive um, 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 argument that I'm raising. I had a conversation with a friend who is, who identifies as same sex, you know, and I'm saying that, man, you know, one of the things that I deeply want to understand is I enjoy intimacy with guys, but not intimacy in a romantic sense like I want I enjoy genuine bromance where we love each other and I'm like bro I genuinely love you man you know um and I don't see how that could ever interpret you know be interpreted as something else you know and for me maybe it's because I went to a boys school you know I appreciate these there's different expressions of manhood these guys who are who express themselves like this express themselves and I still want to love all the different guys you know, and I was trying to understand from him, like, what is the difference, you know, between how you view guys and how I view guys? Because if I've got a friend, I want to say, man, I, I I love this guy. I really want my heart to smile when they're around me in the same way that my heart would smile when my wife is around me. The only difference is that my wife and I are, there are things that we'll only share together. These, and we're doing this much longer and the commitment levels are much higher you know, but at the same time, this that I have with my wife gives me a glimpse of what I want with fellow humans. It teaches me how to love. It does not mean that it, it is not offended by me learning how to love and it is not made less valuable by me learning how to love more, but it inspires me to discover that love in everything, even in my dog, you know? And so I, I struggle, you know, with why does this have to be very different from this. So, so the difference really is that that like you've you've actually just put the answer right there in it. You've got a quality of relationship with your wife, a, a commitment, a depth that you can go to with her, that does give you a window on the depth that you can have with others. But there is a dis there is a distinction between your intimate relationship and your friendship relationships. I feel that in many environments we're putting the friendship relationship on the table in the public environment sense with God but we don't have a conversation about the intimacy about about the about the the specialness and the depth of that relationship and what it looks like and when 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 I ask people about that is specifically when I say give clear examples the 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 examples don't narrow it down and make intimacy clearer the examples open it up and basically says we don't know what this is or maybe the examples also say we're looking for intimacy in everything yes and no there we we are looking for an intimacy as a general deeper way of living and loving absolutely i think definitely but the fact that we're looking for it doesn't mean that we're having it and the language of looking for it we use as though we are having it but you see maybe that's where i maybe that's that's where we kind of differ you know where i'm saying if we've tasted this thing, we want to discover it in everything. And I strongly believe that when we start searching for it in everything, there's a beautiful concept. Um, there's a guy, you know, if when you if you do have any interest in this, um, there's a guy by the name of Gabriel Setoluane. 
a, a Methodist minister, um, a late Methodist minister, who wrote on the concept of Siriti. Siriti um, translated, um, loosely translated as vital force. But Siriti with an African epistemology would speak about the sense of godliness that permeates everything. Mm, yeah, it's the equivalent of, of prana or, or chi, yeah. And once you taste, yes, and once you taste God in an intimate space, it draws you to want to find that presence of God that permeates all things. And it even informs your relationship with creation because suddenly, in keeping with what the Catholics would suggest, even nature becomes sacramental. The world in its entirety becomes very sacramental. And so I, 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 my thing is, some people may view it as universalism, but some people who are really open to the idea can view it as believing, genuinely believing in the omnipresence of God and in the possibility of everyday intimacy with God. Technically on that, we're, we're, we're agreed. But in terms of the practical outworking of that, there's a distinctive that I feel that I'm, I'm not saying. Because every if, every if then statement has got its corollaries. So if you've tasted this, you want to find it in everything. But if you're tasting everything in order to find this, that's that's the flip side and 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 if and if we just go the common denominator is taste and once cool we're all doing the same thing experiencing the same thing so 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 that's the difference because because on one hand you put on the table that if you've tasted this you're wanted in everything but on the flip side if you're tasting everything in order to find it that's a different process if we say desire and tasting is the common denominator therefore we have it we lose out the the vital relational transactions that differ on each side of that spectrum our program does not suggest that what we are seeking to do is disciple people in a way that they become open to discovering god in everything we create spaces for people to encounter god we create spaces. but what we don't want to do is the mistake of discipling people in a way that puts forward church as a form of escape and you taste God and then you go into the world, you know, strong. I remember there was an analogy that, that, I, that used to be used when I was in the youth group. It's, and then there's merit to it, I suppose, to a certain extent, um, of two snakes fighting. And they fight, they fight and retreat to go back into their holes in order to get strength. And then they come back and they fight again. You know, I want an all-round life where I can continuously find strength in different moments. These days when um, I might be chatting to my to my wife and we arguing again about something and in that moment when i realized that i just messed up i want to be able to draw back even if we're in the same car you know and in that time of prayer i want to be able to discover a new way of actually engaging that conversation we're having you know so for me how you disciple people so it's one thing to say it but how we design programs and disciple people also has an impact on how people will engage this. Totally, absolutely. I think I think the problem statement that you're putting on the table and the way in which you're using this as a tool to go about solving that is 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 good. And and with that is the problem on the table, and and this is as a means of trying to create a culture that that avoids the problem that you're putting on the table and 
creates an opportunity or an openness in another that's that that's fantastic i don't think that's on the table there is the question of intimacy with god and engagement with god and and so the problem that you're putting on the table and solving is not the problem i'm putting on the table and and, and solving and but 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 i hear you in terms of what you are doing and i think that's tremendously valuable and maybe just you know uh, and maybe what might also be worth mentioning term is that we've also said we've we've designed our program in such a way that um we are we do not run an so alpha is not an isolated program for our evening gathering so we've got an evening space evening gathering um but that is mainly meant to be seeker sensitive that evening gathering space hosts a whole lot of things and alpha is one of them but the program is designed around four pillars one is encounter so the first week is focused on encounter through teaching music and um and rituals one of the rituals being communion you know so it's encounter cultural discernment um countercultural mission and meaningful relationships so we lean on those four pillars so in even in our alpha program we try to make sure that those four pillars are all met you know so perhaps it's worth mentioning that that's what informs our approach that there's already a template of a service outline that or rather of of service of stuff that is valuable for our service that then alpha is hosted in that context and even that would inform how we approach our alpha mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that's a fantastic example of 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 trying to solve the problem of alpha being a subculture within a church and and i think it's a very valuable way of 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 going about doing that i don't think it for me solves the the issue of 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 intimacy with god and engagement with god which is very much not what we do in church and and so it's it's not really part and parcel of that in that way so i yeah but 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 thank you for sharing your experience and what you it's we can no 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 problem and thank you Tim for the invitation you know we continue processing these thoughts um and yeah you know and we continue discovering new things mm. and looking forward to continuing the conversation over the over the few years and good luck with the studies i think that's going to be brilliant